Hello and welcome to another edition of the Radio Debrief Scottish Election Podcast. I am Alistair Russell, as ever I'm joined by Stephen Brown, and who have we got with us this week, Stephen? Today we have Isla Waitley, she joined us in episode two, and we've also got Aaron Proctor, who is in his second year of journalism. Welcome along, people of the Hello. world. Hello. Uh... <laughs> so what's been happening in the last week since you've heard our lovely voices on the other end of your Spotify's or wherever you find this podcast? Well... We've had a lot of polls released, so what have these polls been saying? Well, I mean, the polls have definitely been saying quite a lot. The STV Murray Scott poll predicts the SNP to have a majority with 70 seats, Conservative 25, Labour 19, the Greens with 11 seats, and the Lib Dems with four seats, which would give the Nationalists for pro-independence 81 seats over the 129 seats come the Scottish Parliament. Now that's predicted. That's quite, it's very good for pro-independence. Obviously there's the elephant in the room, the other party, the Alpha party, which are predicted to get 3%, which would, uh, they'd struggle to gain any seats with uh, that 3% margin. Managing Director at Ipsos Mori, Emily Gray, said the independence remains the top issue for Scotland's voters and an independent supermajority Holyrood looks well from the realms of possibility. However, our poll indicates that this may come from an uplift in support for the Scottish Greens on a regional vote rather than for ALPA. I want to say a big thank you to uh, Emma, Emma McAndrew who gave me that quote. Of course, polls can often be wrong and there is around about a month to go until the election, but the interesting thing in that is it's the SNP are forecast to get a majority. And of course the Scottish Parliament was set up in a way that it means that no singular party could actually have a majority. That's not actually seemed to work out in the last two elections, but we move. Yeah, I do think it's that is really interesting, especially like obviously the voting system for in place is not... Um, not there to, so there should be a majority government but the SNP have also made it their thing that if there is an SNP majority they will put forward an independence referendum so the SNP do need an independent uh, do need a majority so they can have the independence referendum um so it's very strange or at least uh um independence majority even if the SNP themselves didn't get a majority having the greens on side and um, who are obviously pro independence as well would help them push that through because at the moment they've got a minority government and they rely on the Greens as their fellow sort of independent supporters to get through a lot of policy. Yeah, uh, but I mean a lot of the things they have said recently um, and I think it would diminish their argument if the SNP didn't have that majority personally I think but I don't know I guess we'd have to see what happens. It's very interesting to say the least. I think it would diminish the argument in the case in the eyes of Tories at Westminster but I'm not sure how they can realistically take that view given that the Greens are a pro-independence party and they will have forecast, at least in the poll that we were talking about there, to have 11 seats and so it's good, it would be a fairly huge majority for pro-independence parties Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it does play out in practice Um and whether the votes for the Greens do translate on the list and the polls kind of are right. Um, 
certainly we have seen um, a fall in popularity in parties such as the Scots Conservatives, and um, particularly in um, the leaders' approval ratings um, with Douglas Ross. So it'll be interesting to see if those votes go maybe to Labour or whether it's, I mean, going from the Conservatives to the SNP would be quite a big jump, but who knows? It's definitely quite an interesting thing that you just brought up there. Will Labour voters defer to the Conservatives? You know, the Labour voters who are hard unionists, will they defer to the Conservatives because they see them as stronger to stop another independence referendum? Or do you think they'll stay put? I think it depends because from what I can see, Scottish Labour aren't focusing on the constitutional issue, which I think is a good thing to do because it's, I mean, Scottish Labour have obviously had such a downfall since 2014, since the referendum. Um, although they are still against independence and against referendum, it's not their main, it's not what they're mainly focusing on this election, unlike the Conservatives. Um, but I think it is still clear that um, they do want Scotland to remain in the in the UK. But if you're, I guess, if you are wanting that hardline unionist um, position, then yeah, maybe you would vote for the Conservatives. Um, but then there is the other thing as well of Labour being on the left and the Conservatives being on the right. So I think voters like that would be weighing up what where their values lie, whether it's to do with independence or to do with um, left and right. But I suppose. There is one party who's uh, very much in the middle of Labour and Conservatives, which is, uh, of course, led by Willie Rennie, which is the, the Lib Dems. But the polls are indicating that they will lose seats. Uh, the STV one puts them on four seats, which is less than right now. I mean, the Lib Dems obviously have been quite unpopular since the 2010-2015 general elections and it has had an impact in the Scottish elections. If people wanted to have go for in the middle for a political spectrum, you know, would they defer to the Lib Dems instead of voting for Conservatives or the Labour Party? I doubt it. I think there's still a lot of bad feeling over the 2010 coalition because certainly from where I'm from the borders that very much used to be a Liberal Democrat stronghold um, because it's a, certainly the messaging used to be vote Lib Dems to keep the Tories out and everyone did that and then in 2010 everyone still voted Lib Dems and it didn't keep the Tories out as we all know and so the Lib Dems have suffered down here ever since uh, it became in 2015 we became an SNP seat at Westminster, and then 2017 we became Tory and Tory again in 2019. But the Tory, but the Tories down here had their majority cut in about half at the last election. I think the thing with the Lib Dems is that in Scotland, they're very much trying to use the branding of Willie Rennie to promote themselves. Because I mean, personally, I just love his energy and his character. I just think he's such a funny person, um, and. I think that, I mean, whoever's in charge of marketing and campaigns at the Lib Dems, Scottish Lib Dems probably knows that. Um, so just looking through their Twitter earlier, um, there's a lot about like hashtags, hashtags where's Willie, um, and then retweeting his videos that he takes on his morning runs where he's kind of just ranting at the camera about various things. 
Um, and it's just all, it's all quite funny. Um, and I know that most parties use their leader as a kind of symbol of the party. Um, you, if you look at any, well, most of the party's um, leaflets, you can see that. But I think the Lib Dems especially are probably relying on that because they don't really have that much else going for them. They don't have a strong like UK leader. Like, does anyone really even know who Ed Davey is? Not really. Um, it's not like Joe Swinson um, when she was a leader. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think they might they'll keep their strongholds in Edinburgh West and um, the islands as well, but no idea about the rest of them. Yeah, the Lib Dems are very strong, and it's a very safe seat up in the islands, like Shetland. Um, yeah. I think, and quite interestingly, in the by the um, the Scottish by election. Um, a couple of years ago, um, the SNP candidate, Tom Wilkes or something, I can't remember his name, um, he, they really like closed the gap a bit more. So it, it, it does seem to be quite, it's still safe for the Lib Dems, but it could come to the fact that that gap is closing and the SNP could eventually make a gain there. But I guess time will tell on that one. I don't know. I think if it's a sort of two-horse race in places like that, it will come down to independence, really, mm. if it's the SNP versus another party, which in most cases it is. I mean, up there, they have that whole big thing where they don't even want to be run by Scottish uh, by the Scottish government. They want to have their own government, their own local government, um, or devolved government, because they, they feel like they're so far away from Edinburgh, which I think is which also is quite true. an interesting argument. Mm. Yeah. Well, whilst we wait for the verdict on that one, let's talk about another verdict. There's been a bit of a debate sparked off recently about the not proven verdict when the Scottish Tories released that most rarest of beasts, an actual policy from them, which for them is to abolish the not proven verdict. And the SNP have said that that is something they will also be having a look at in the next term. What do we make of that? I think it's really interesting um, that it's this election they're talking about that and given everything that's gone down with the Alex Salmon case because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he the verdict was not proven for a lot of it, um, for a lot I of the charges. He was, found not, he was found not guilty on all of them apart from rape on which he was found not proven. There we go. Um, so it's interesting um, because... If that hadn't happened, would this even be a question? Because I don't remember it ever being um, considered at any other election or ever really being talked about. I think with the not proven verdict, it seems good on paper, but in reality, it doesn't really give the the family of someone who has been raped, or obviously the victim, any, you know, being able to move on if that person actually did that. It doesn't give him any justice. Mm. And sort of saying not proven is an easy way out of getting... I don't think it's an easy way out of getting anything. It's basically there's not enough evidence to go one way or the other. Yeah, so, sorry, what, what I was saying is that it's an easy way to get a conclusion for a particular verdict. I wouldn't say it's a very good verdict. Of course, Sir Walter Scott famously referred to the not proven verdict as that bastard verdict in the 1800s, I believe. And it's an interesting debate because it is 
actually a fundamental part of Scottish law. Would it change much if we actually got rid of it? I'm not too sure. I guess it would make things more in line with um, the law in the rest of the UK because it's not a thing in England. No, it is indeed. I think Scotland isn't the only place in the world which has the not proven verdict. I mean, I don't know a lot about Scots law or law or the not proven verdict and there's something about double jeopardy. I don't know what any of it means. Um, but you've also got to look at the side of the person who is under prosecution. If they... Because I, I, the jury is probably under a lot of pressure to decide whether a person is guilty or not guilty. Having that extra verdict gives it a lot of leeway into like them deciding whether this person is guilty or not. So it, it could be the case of this person is not guilty, but the way but the um the, the jury feels like they have, to, they have pressure to make them seem guilty. If that makes sense. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's a reasonable argument. Uh, of course, on the subject of policies, we've now reached the prime of Europe and we're all starting to get a decent amount of recycling and fire fuel through our door in the form of leaflets touting the various alleged policies that the different parties are hoping to bring in if they make it into government. So what have some of our favourites been that we've had through the door so far? Well today I received my SNP, Paul McLennan for East Lothian. It has lots of policies on here, it has lots of support of the EU, why independence are best, both votes SNP etc etc. And then we go on to the Conservative one, how to stop another independence referendum, which mentions independence a shocking amount of 27 times. Goodness. Take a shot for every time the Tories mention independence and you'll be under the table by midday. <laughs> Pretty much. Of course, I was very, ha- I was very happy to receive my, uh, my, my personally addressed printed one from Anna Sarwar, who seems to be touting recovery, seems to be the buzzword on all of Labour's. Yeah. this campaign. Yeah, I got that one as well. Um, they seem to be focusing on um, national recovery plan, um, what Scottish Labour are, which has five sections. Uh, jobs recovery, which is guaranteeing a job for every young Scot by investing in a national training fund and a business restart fund. Um, I don't know if these go into any more detail on the website or anything like that because this leaflet is quite short and sweet. Um, there's also NHS recovery, which is improving mental health, funding our NHS to get cancer treatment back on track, which Anna Sarwar talked quite um, passionately about in the leaders' debate last week, um, and giving carers the pay they deserve. Education recovery, which is about a catch-up plan, investing in schools and ensuring better IT support in both primary and secondary schools. Climate recovery, which is investing in green jobs, seizing Scotland's hosting of COP26, which is the big climate conference happening in Glasgow in, I believe, September, um, to champion an ambitious climate justice plan. Um, And finally, community recovery, which is creating a community recovery fund to invest in local areas and making communities safer and stronger, which doesn't, I mean, that's not much detail, but it's a brief overview of what Scottish Labour is focusing on. As I said earlier, it's interesting how they're not really mentioning independence um, in some of their literature is quite sort of veiled um, 
messaging regarding sort of staying in the UK and things like that, but it's not as explicit as the SNP or the Conservatives. And of course, we will learn more about all of these policies um, when all of the parties release their manifestos, although we're not quite sure when that will be just yet. So has the SNP been saying anything other than... Uh, and what have the ruling party at the moment, the SNP, been saying? They've not mentioned independence a whole lot, nor definitely nowhere near as much as their counterparts with the Scottish Conservatives. So what do we have from them? Yeah, it's quite interesting how little they have out frontly mentioned independence. I think about the only times Nicola Sturgeon has mentioned it is when somebody else has brought it up. Um, and every time she has um, sticked to the dialogue that they will only do an independence referendum when the crisis is over, and but the Scottish Conservatives don't seem to be listening to that. You, could, you heard that at the, at the debate uh, last week. They're still quite staunch on that. Um, but they have been putting out a few policies every now and then, um, even though they haven't uh, released their debate. I think Nicola Sturgeon was like kind of teasing her manifesto at the independence... Not the, not the independence debate, the leaders' debate. I thought it was quite funny, um, but um, I think they've they've made it a quite a big thing that they're doubling the child payment, which I think is very good. Um, I think that that will do quite a lot. And then they've got some affordable housing policies. They've got some climate change policies. Not entirely sure what they are off the top of my head. I know they want to um, implement a fast track cancer diagnosing centres um, in every local health board. Um, they've made that quite a big thing as well. And they've also, again, for the second time, said they want to close the attainment gap, even though they said that last Parliament election, and that didn't seem to happen. I think it actually widened in the last year or something. I think that report came out. So it'll be interesting to see what their change in that aspect so they can close it. And then, obviously, moving on to the Conservatives, they had sort of five big ones uh, that they promoted on social media the other day. I mean, unlimited apprenticeships, um, um, full fibre broadband, uh, £2 billion extra for the NHS, £500 skills grant for everyone, more policing, and an additional 3,000 more teachers, you know, looking at some of these policies it's sort of the traditional conservative policies that have been around for years there isn't much that strikes you as ambitious or interesting it's i think there's a there's a couple quite progressive um policies they put out to be fair like the full uh, fiber broadband rollout that was something that labor did in 2016 general election the uk general election that was something they made a big deal about um and the Tories were quite staunch against that. Uh, so I think it's quite interesting that they want to implement that in Scotland. And of course the other party, the Scottish Greens, they've got, they've been touting their policies and their successes in what they've managed to get the SNP to do for them, such as the free school meals for all primary school pupils, also over the holidays. So what are they looking to try and achieve next Parliament? So they've announced a couple of policies now. Um, a couple of sort of standout ones are they're vowing to end fox hunting for good, um, which was proposed in 2019 by Alison Johnston, Johnson, who is a MSP for Lothian. 
Um, and if they gain more S SMPs, MSPs, they will um, definitely campaign on that parliament. Um, as we were mentioning earlier, they've also pledged to abolish the not proven verdict. Um, they have a plan to tackle disinformation, uh, so fake news, things like that. Um, they also want to end the war on drugs, um, which includes adopting a person-centred approach and focusing on drop-in services and crisis centres um, for people who are addicted um, and tackling it as a public health issue rather than a criminal justice issue, which has been um, quite key, we've seen in other countries, to tackling um, drug abuse. And finally, they want a new deal for renters. Um, so obviously the pandemic has exposed how private renting is quite expensive and insecure. Um, so they're pledging to make the winter evictions ban a permanent feature, which was introduced during the pandemic. And they also want to establish a private rented sector reg regulator to oversee the sector and investigate tenants' complaints and recommend future reform. So they've got quite a lot and there will be more coming out from them over the upcoming weeks, I think. That's just about all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, we are at Radio Debrief on pretty much all of the social medias if you fancy checking us out and finding more articles. We will, of course, be back next week with another edition of the podcast. We'll wait and see what the parties give us to talk about then. In the meantime, but in the meantime that is goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. And me. And me.